You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This is episode number 109, and Jake and I are joined by Craig Sloan of CAS Taxidermy Studios in Springfield, Missouri. So thanks for jumping on a second time, Craig. This is for everyone that's listening. This is our second time recording this. We had some technical difficulties, so we're going to try from the top this time. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me on the show. So I think where we started last time and where we can start this time too for people is how did you get started into taxidermy? Yeah, so, you know, it was one of those maybe midlife crises. You know, I I built homes for about 25 years. And in 2007, 2008, when the housing market crashed, I had dabbled just a little bit in taxidermy and just kind of always, you know, done turkey fans, um, kind of messed with some antler plaques for myself and for people. So... Uh, it always fascinated me. Just didn't know if that was something that I could do as a career. So um, uh, my wife has a, a rustic furniture store, and I had a taxidermist come in. He had a, a buffalo that he wanted to uh, to sell, and uh, so she put it in the store. And she's like, "Hey, by the way, my husband wants to be a taxidermist." And he's like, uh, "Come on down to my shop and put a deer together." So I ran down to his shop about a month later or so, and. Uh, I'd been watching videos and, and trying to learn taxidermy on my own and uh, got connected with a, another taxidermist and we put together our first deer and after that it kind of sealed the deal. And so I transitioned for about 10 years out of construction into taxidermy and uh, I've been doing it for about 14, 15 years now. So do you get to hunt less since you're a taxidermist? Uh, no, so uh, whenever I decided to be a taxidermist, I knew that, uh, you know, going into that, that I would it would limit me somewhat as far as maybe gun season, but I'm more of a bow hunter, and so uh, I've always kind of set the standard with my customers, and, and they totally understand that uh, opening weekend of gun season, I'm closed, and, um, you know, looking back on that, even the phone calls and the majority of uh, the, the deer I receive is uh, starts in, at on that Monday because you know a lot of my hunters they'll hunt out of town uh, some of the local people have just learned hey Craig's not open till Monday so we're gonna put it in the freezer or we're gonna work around that so um, you know I like to muzzleload hunt um, so that's in later on in December after the rush of, of receiving all those deer so the thing I enjoy, enjoy about it the most is I get to work with deer year-round not only hunting but I'm, 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 you know, making people's memories come alive and, and whenever they walk through the doors and, and being able to, to recreate that memory for them and hear their hunting story again, it just, uh, it pumps me up every time. So speaking about like, uh, bringing their stories back to life. Now, I think I tried to ask you this question last time we jumped on here, but sadly you couldn't hear me or it might've been a good thing. You couldn't hear me. I don't know. So for me, when I look at a mount, if it's somewhat lifelike, I think it's a well-done mount. So is there anything from your knowledge that could help like the average eye out, like what to look for? What makes, what's the difference between and like an average okay mount and a great, great mount? Um, yeah. And you know, I've had a lot of uh, customers call me 
and ask me that question over the phone, and I'll tell them, hey, um, get to know your taxidermist. Um, and I, I had a guy just a couple weeks ago call me and said, hey, can I come out and take a look at your work? And, uh, you know, as artists, we're all, um, we all stylize somewhat in our characteristic or what we interpret art to be like. So uh, that lifelike appearance of that deer is determined on the, the, the talent of that taxidermist. And um, so, you know, sometimes there, there's, you know, in, in the Missouri Taxidermist Association, there's taxidermists that are just so naturally talented that they have excelled really quick. I'm the type of taxidermist that I have to uh, go through continuing education. I have to practice a lot. And uh, in the industry, you know, as, as we talk to other taxidermists and judges, um, we're constantly inundated with looking at reference materials. So, you know, a lot of times whenever I'm drinking coffee of a morning, and I'm going to go put a deer together, it, it sounds kind of silly, but I'm actually sitting there flipping through pictures of deer, uh, the eyes of a deer, the expression of the deer. So whenever I'm, I'm trying to recreate that, that deer or that bobcat or whatever I'm working on that day, I'm actually looking at reference pic, uh, pictures not only whenever I'm mounting it, but um, even before then to get those reference pictures in my mind because as, as a human being, we get stylized on what we think that that eye might look like or how that ear actually looked. But if we're um, interpreting art or we're interpreting that reference material, we can actually look at that photograph and, and try to figure out the exact position of where that ear sets or how that expression of that eye looks. And that's what, that's what creates that uh, lifelike look in a deer mount whenever it's um, on the wall. And I'm sure you've seen those those uh, deer that uh, you've walked into somebody's house and it looks like it's bug-eyed and it's uh, it's uh, what they call bad taxidermy. <laughs> yeah, I have one of those. I think you got one of those. Very first mount, yeah. <laughs> I tried to save like 75 bucks and in the long run, no. Yeah. I think no. one, of the, one of the things I wanted to ask was, and I think we talked about it a little bit last time we talked, was um, to me, I have... Um, some similarly priced taxidermists, one that did a, a mountain in Oklahoma and one that's done one in Texas. And they, everything about the mounts look, both look great. Like the ears, um, the fur, kind of the striations they put in the, the deer as well. But the difference between the two, in my opinion, was how they rebuilt the eyes and like how the eye looks on, on the deer. Can you talk about like kind of how important it is to build the eye back a certain way to make it look lifelike because one looks really lifelike and then the other one looks it looks pretty good but it's just not not up to that standard yeah you know and um like taxidermy is just like somebody buying a car so you know somebody might like to drive a jaguar or a bmw and they want they want the top taxidermy so they want the best mount they can get and back in i think it was 90 uh, six or something like that. I killed my first deer and I took it to my, a taxidermist of my choice. And the reason I picked him out is because I knew the quality of the, wor the work he did. Um, and you was talking about the eye and how realistic they look and and what brings that that mount to to, to life um, is is the quality of the eye that you're using. And you can buy from an eight dollar uh, eye all the way up to a twenty two dollar eye. Now, most customers not, might not know that or see that, but if you get to talking to your taxidermist, you can ask them, you know, you know, what, what mannequin do you use? What eye do you use? What type of earliners do you use? If you want to go into that much depth, 
and just just have your taxidermist explain to you what is a quality mount. Um, uh, there's nothing wrong with a, a bondo ear if it's done properly, but you know a proper ear ears liner um, is going to stay glued to better you know better long term. Um, and probably what you're seeing in the difference in your mounts might be a $22 I versus an $8 I as far as the quality of that eye. That's a good point. Yeah. So I have a weird question. Has anyone ever brought in a deer that you were hunting? Uh, no. No. <laughs> Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I thought a taxidermy shop was supposed to be like kind of like a barber shop. That's where people just go to like gossip and stuff like that. Tell about their stories. Hunts. Yeah, like show show each other trail cam pictures and all that stuff. But I guess y'all have like a sworn secrecy or something like that. Say that again. I'm sorry. I was just saying that uh, I thought a taxidermist was supposed to be kind of like, like a barber shop where people go there and like kind of spill the tea about stuff, you know, like showing each other trail cam camera pictures and all that stuff. But it seemed like y'all are a pretty tight lip group. Yeah. And you know, um, we get, I'm all the time having people and, and I, and I don't care. Um, you know, my, my customers will come and they'll show, they'll show up to pick up their mount or something this, even this time of the year. And they'll be showing me trail cam pictures of the deer, that uh that they they they're going to kill and they're going to bring this deer to me and i'm like you know uh everything changes come october and november so uh, oh, sure. i hope you do bring that deer back to me but uh don't get your hopes up because they do move <laughs> around and it, it's hard to judge you know what that deer is going to score or what it's going to look like because it's still in velvet right now have you ever had a customer come in and recognize a deer that they were hunting that was like on your on your wall or one that you were mounting i feel like that could happen in a local area like a small you know yeah and it's kind of odd because it the funny part is sometimes or oh i'd say maybe 15 to 20 percent of my customers actually they'll walk in and i could have five or six deer mounted on the wall and uh, I'll, I'll say how's your deer look and and sometimes um they can't pick out their deer because they forget w what it looked like um you know they haven't seen their picture and it's been since november and yeah, but you know, some a lot of people do. But there, there's a there's a majority of people that um, is that my deer? Oh, I forgot what it looked like. So that's kind of entertaining to me sometimes. Hmm. That is funny. Uh, well, you, I wanted to tell the audience, you reached out to us and you kind of came up with a good potential podcast topic. And I wanted to give a little bit of uh, background for people that are listening. Is so we do. If you've been following us for any period of time, we do some of these you know, seven to 10 day hunts on public land. And one of the things we talked about in the last podcast was, you know, on day three of one of those hunts, you can, you could harvest a buck or shoot a buck and you gotta, you gotta take care of that head. If it's a one that's quality for big enough for a, a taxidermist or big enough for a shoulder mount, what, what would you recommend for people to do if they are on a seven to 10 day trip, say out West or in the Midwest and they shoot a big buck and they want to preserve it the right way to get it shoulder mounted? Yeah. And you know, I get those uh, kind of questions every once in a while. I have a group of guys that are getting ready to go to Colorado or they're getting ready to go to Kansas and um, Colorado is not as uh, big a concern because a lot of times they're going to be in September and October and they're going to be in the mountains. It's going to be a little bit colder. So those capes, you know, a lot of times will end up being frozen for that period of time. But, you know, if you get out to Kansas or even eastern Colorado, sometimes it's a little bit warmer. But what I would recommend is um, you, there, you've probably got a couple options is to plan ahead 
in what I do, even whenever I take uh, guys or I take my wife down to the farm and we're going to hunt, and I'll, I'll actually have a, either a cooler that's designated in a bag, you know, and I'll put you know a knife inside that bag that I'm going to cape that deer out with. I'll put uh, rubber gloves in there, and so I'm creating a sort of a taxidermy kit for myself. And so, um, if you're planning on going out west, um, just like you're going to plan to uh, return and bring all your meat back with you, make a plan to bring your antlers back with you in your cape. So um, you might, uh, you know, if you're on a seven-day hunt and you're with a group of guys in, say, day number two, all of a sudden you tag up and out and it's a monster uh, buck, um, you might need to consider, um, you know, if it's not cold enough, if it's not frozen, um, what we're fighting is taxidermists and what you're fighting is the bacteria that's growing in that hair as that animal has, has died. And whenever that animal died, of course, the blood flow is, has stopped. So immediately it starts decaying, um, and that that hide and that hair is what's going to get jeopardized first. Um, the meat in the animal can take a little bit more abuse as far as weather and so on and so forth, but you just don't want to lose that hair. And so you might have to actually call a taxidermist in the area, have them cape it out, try to get it into a freezer. Um, you might, uh, if you're going to a certain location, you might even call and see if you can find uh, where there might be dry ice where you could put that cape on dry ice. And another thing is if you have a cooler and you have a deer, let's say, and you're going to put that deer in that cape and you, you didn't cape out the head and you're going to be setting the antlers and the head into this cooler, of course, you can't close the cooler and get it completely done. Um, but what I would recommend is put in that cape in a plastic bag. And the main thing you do not want to do is get any water on that because that water is going to cause that bacteria to start growing in that hair and that's going to cause slippage. So um, one one thing that, uh, that, I, that I always talk to guys about, especially if they're going out west for antelope, is to get those things in, in a cooler, get them frozen, get them taken care of as soon as you can because antelope are one of the most notorious for slipping hair as far as, um, uh, you know, game coming from out west. Is there a certain way that you need to, say you do get it separated from the skull, so it looks like a European mountain now, you got it all caped out, um, is there a certain way you need to roll the cape up and freeze it, or does it does it matter? Can you just throw it in a plastic bag and, and put it on dry ice and freeze it? It doesn't really matter as far as the way you roll it up. Um, you, you would, uh, of course, want to get as much uh, meat off that cape as you could. That way, you know, it's not taking up uh, a lot of space. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you what I prefer. Um, if you have a taxidermist and you work with him every day, you might get his opinion on it. But um, one thing I would recommend, even if you're just going to take your deer to a local taxidermist after you've caped it out, is to make sure and cut that neck when you're rolling that cape up the back of that neck and you're going to you're um, don't leave a bunch of that meat on that neck um, matter of fact i always tell my guys to just go ahead and, and cut the the neck off at the skull at the base of the skull you can actually do that with a knife you don't even have to have a hacksaw or a hatchet or anything there's some cartilage right where that that skull meets that that last vertebrae and it can actually be cut with with a knife. It, it, it's kind of a hassle because you got all that cape pushed up there. But if you can get that, um, the only thing you have is the cape and the skull and the antlers that you're actually having to deal with. Um, 
one of the uh, the big concerns I have as a taxidermist is whenever someone is hunting away from home, that, and I've got a group of guys that have um, property up north, and they have a, a a mom that lives up there, so they'll take their deer and they'll put them in the freezer, and they'll have them frozen before they bring them to me. But the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to cut that neck off and have eight, ten inches of neck meat on the back of that cape and it frozen because what's going to happen is whenever you bring it to me as a taxidermist, I've got to unthaw it. I've got to hang it up. And so the first thing that unthaws is the eyes and the face and the ears. And the ears are actually the thing that's going to slip the, the, the fastest because they've been in the air and that neck meat basically acts as a block of ice so that's going to be the last thing to unthaw and that ear's been exposed to you know room temperature for probably three or four hours maybe even longer before we can get it processed so um it's 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 a race against time it's uh i know everybody wants to take their deer and throw them in the back of the truck and go and show them to all their hunting buddies and you know and that's fine if it's 30 uh, 40 degrees but if you know sometimes in missouri here here lately, um, you know, we'll have 50-degree nights and then 60, 70, maybe even 80-degree days during gun season, and that gets to be a real concern for taxidermists. So would you recommend, like, caping the whole skull out completely in order to maybe put the cape in a sack or two if you have – if, like, that's your last resort to put it in the ice chest? Would you recommend to, like, cape the skull out completely where it almost looks like a European mount? That way you can shut the ice chest? Yeah, and if you're going out west, you might check um, the regulations for your state. That there are states that um, won't actually let you bring that skull plate uh, across lines. Um, I, I've got a group of guys that that hunted um, in I think Kansas or Oklahoma. I can't remember which state, and uh, they they realized halfway uh, across um, driving home, and they actually lived in Arkansas, that they couldn't take that skull plate into their state lines. So they had to stop by a taxidermist, uh, which they called me, and I was able to cape their deer out for them. They wasn't comfortable doing that. Um, if you're actually going to go ta um, cape out your own deer or elk, um, I would highly recommend stopping by your taxidermy shop if you know your taxidermist and say, this is what I'm, I'm going to have to do. I don't have an option. Um, show me or tell me or give me the best advice you can. I mean, if I had somebody in my shop, I could actually show you how to cut, where to cut, and then how to do it. That That's kind of last resort. It's not impossible. It's just something that you'd have to be face-to-face -face with somebody to actually show them the proper way to do that. What What is the longest that you would recommend leaving a cape in, like, solid ice before getting it to a taxidermist? I'm not talking about dry ice. Just, like, say someone with a normal ice chest, so just around freezing, just above freezing. Yeah, if it's just above freezing and, and there's going to be a lot of variables in that because of, of, of weather and, and how the temperature fluctuates, um, comfortably, you know, you might get uh, uh, three to four days out of that. Um, a lot of people will call me and say, hey, Craig, I'm bringing you a deer. I'm taking it to the locker plant. Um, I'll have it to you in about three or four days. And I'll, I'll forewarn them because we've had issues is, you know, if you take your deer to a locker plant and you're going to have them cape out your deer, a lot of times, um, you know, they might be overwhelmed, especially open the day of gun season. They might have 30, 40, 50 deer sitting out there in the sunlight. 
and you never know when they're going to get to that. So they're going to cape out your deer. They're going to put it in a cooler. It's going to be cool, but it's not going to be frozen, and therefore it's going to be jeopardized. And, you know, if they get it to me the next day, usually pretty safe. Uh, if it gets uh, three or four days, I've had them brought into me, and, and usually you can tell whenever they bring that box uh, into you and it's caped. Uh, it already smells, and I can already tell you that it's bad. So that 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 smell kind of gives it gives it away. In other words, we covered like the ice chest part. So what what do you do about like velvet antlers? Because we've never ran into that yet. But if someone was to shoot a early season whitetail, still had velvet on it, how would how would one preserve those? So uh, your taxidermist will, will take those, and um, while we're storing them, and you can store them too, we'll put them in a the freezer, and we'll freeze them. And uh, what what I do with them is I send them off and have them freeze dried. Um, you can inject them, um, but the, the the best scenario that I, I found is to send them off to somebody that has a freeze dryer and have them preserved, and then we can mount them. I get you. So how quickly would would someone have to get them to the taxidermy shop before like i guess the velvet starts peeling or or whatever that may be like how long is too long to like give a deer if that makes sense um you know the the best uh way to say that it's going to be too long is if um you know uh one is smell of course but if you're seeing it or you're feeling you know you can that kind of you don't want to tug on the hair and try to pull out the hair but if you're seeing hair floating around or if you're you rub your hand across that hair and it's slipping already, you know you have issues. So, um, you know, and the, and the odd thing about taxidermy is I've had um, a taxidermist wife actually kill a deer in Iowa. Um, it was below freezing, uh, ideal conditions. He's a taxidermist, took it back to his shop, um, caped it out, and then a couple months later, put it into the tanning process and it, it slips some hair. So sometimes, uh, and we, you know, percentage wise, we, we, um, don't lose very many capes, but, um, it can happen. Um, and used to, we would have like issues with shoulders or patches of hair that would, would fall out. And we kind of contribute that to maybe, you know, a deer's been laying on, on the hot pavement on one side, so it got a lot of heat buildup in that area. Or if, you know, it, it, somebody threw it in the back of the truck and the muffler was close to that area, so it got heated up, so there's a little bit of slippage in that area. So, um, you know, like I said, the best best uh, th advice I can give to people is to, um, um, if you know um, a taxidermist in your area, reach out to them ask them a few questions and uh, get educated before you go hunting. And, you know, I get phone calls um, every year of people that says, hey, Craig, uh, I never killed a deer that worth mounting. Uh, my wife wants me to get this one mounted. Uh, what do I do? And, um, you know, I don't care if they come over and we'll, we'll cape it out for them and show them how to cape it out first. And then after I show them, they, they know how to cape out their deer. Let's. I wanted to talk about some of the do's and don'ts and some of the common mistakes for people when they first kill a deer of preserving it for taxidermy because i believe it has to start when you're in the field preserving that cape and you know keeping it in a good condition for the taxidermist so what are the maybe some of the common mistakes that people make 
when they kill a deer and they mess up a, you know, a hide or what are some things they need to be mindful of and do? Yeah. So the first thing I would tell you is <clears throat> whenever you walk up on that deer and let's say you're on the fence, I don't know if I'm going to mount this deer. <clears throat> I, I think I will, but, um, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. The first thing I would tell you is, um, don't gut that deer all the way up into the brisket. <clears throat> Um, the best advice I can give you is, is you know, it's kind of a pain, but right, if you'll gut that deer all the way up to where the rib cage starts, um, that's, that's the stopping point. And <clears throat> once you get those guts out and you're going to cape out your deer, if you will just, that's the, that's, that's the circumference, that's the starting point of where you want to go around the body. And that sounds like a lot because you're taking, you're probably giving the taxidermist an extra 12, 14 inches of brisket. But uh, I can always kept, cut the cape off. And with some of the newer forms that are out today, um, we need more of that leg and brisket area to, to show off those legs. And if you want to do a 3D pose, then we'll, we need some of that cape as well. But um, I think um, stopping at the brisket and caping your deer out. And um, the next thing I would tell you is never put a rope around their neck. Um, if you put a rope around their neck and you're going to drag them out, what you're doing is that rope is actually breaking those hair follicles. So a lot of times um, we can't even fix the, you know, the hair is, is kind of matted into place and it's going to leave that rope ring on that, on that deer. So never put a rope around their neck. Um, never drag them backwards because that's going to affect that hair, you know, being fluffed up. Um, if you want, if you have to put a rope around, put them on the antlers and then, then drag them out that way. Or if you're going to, you know, Two people can get them by by the antlers and and then take them out, but um, that that's that's um, the probably the best uh, starting point I would give you is just make sure that uh, like uh, I've always tell people the quality of your mount actually starts in the field, so the the more blood you can keep off of that hair, um, keeping it out of the water and that stops the bacteria from growing. Um, just be mindful of that and you just. Uh, just be mindful that as taxidermists, you know, we're, we, we care about your amount just as much as you do because um, it's your trophy. And, and the last thing I want to do is tell you, hey, your cape's no good. we got to get a replacement for it. And some people don't care, but some people, they want that cape that went on that deer, you know. So um, just uh, make a plan. And uh, uh, if you have questions, uh, like I said, in my area, if you call me up and say, hey, I don't, I'm not comfortable caping out my deer, bring it to me. I cape them out for free for the first time. Uh, after that, I've taught you how to do it, and the second time you should be able to do it yourself. There you go. What a um, do you ever get nervous with like with dragging deer by the horns? Maybe it's just me, but if I'm gonna mount a deer, I really do not like dragging it by the horns. I always feel like I've seen some videos in like January and stuff of people grabbing horns and one popping off. Have you ever like had people bring you like a skull plate with one of the horns missing? Yeah, and that's really a non-issue for a taxidermist because, you know, we can attach that. Those We can put a rod in there and attach them back. So if you pull them off, it's not it's not a deal breaker. We can take care of that for you. And, you know, I, a lot of people ask me, well, this one's got a hole in it, um, but uh, probably 98% of the deer that we, we, uh, we uh, put together, we have to sew up some holes. So those are usually non-issues too unless it's um, done by a knife. Um, another thing that you definitely don't want to do, and I might get one or two, uh, every other year of somebody that, that hasn't mounted a deer in 20 years, but, um, you know, we don't cut them all the way up the back of the neck. 
Um, whenever you're caping those deer out, you actually want to roll that hide up that neck as you're as you're pulling it away from the meat and cutting it away from the meat. Um, another thing that I would recommend, is, like I talked about that armpit skin, is uh, I always tell guys that that first knuckle on that front leg, uh, where that elbow is, that's where I cut those legs off uh, whenever I'm caping a deer out. And that's where I'm going to start uh, at the back side of that arm. There's a white and brown line. I'm going to cut down that white and brown line on the back side of that arm out to the back of the of the of the of the deer, and then that will allow you to release that that cape around that arm and bring that around there. And as you're rolling it up, that gives your taxidermist plenty of of cape to work with, because um, like I said, the older forms they didn't show as much of that brisket. Um, some of the newer sculptors out there they're they're given more of those details. And especially with some of the newer 3D poses, they're coming out with some really cool poses for taxidermists. You don't just have your standard shoulder mount anymore to pick from. So I think that's kind of a unique option for, for hunters out there. I've seen this happen a couple times growing up. I'm pretty sure my uncle and a cousin used to do this. But whenever they shot a deer, and even if it was already expired, they would go up and slit the throat. I guess as a mercy just in case it was still alive or something like that. Do you ever run into that? And if someone does do that, is it, is it fixable in the taxidermy shop if they're planning on mounting it? Yeah, that that's kind of old school. They thought that they had to, to, to bleed that deer out, but um, you know, once again, you're breaking those hair follicles when you're cutting through that, that hair. And I have ran into that. There's there, we can mask it somewhat. But whenever you, you've, uh, unless you're cutting a perfectly straight line and I can sew it back together, which won't happen, um, it, it just doesn't turn out good. And, and 90% of the time, I'm going to tell you that you just have to get a new cape because it's not going to look good. And whenever you pick it up, you're not going to be very happy with it. Another good point that I might, I might point out is whenever you're gutting a deer or you're, you're caping out your deer, um, always cut from the skin side out. Never cut down through the hair. Um, if you're cutting down into the hair, you're breaking those hair that hair off, and that hair will get on your meat. It will get on your deer. So always stick your your knife inside and cut up outside and not into the hair. So this might be a commonly asked question in your shop, but what's the biggest whitetail that you've ever mounted that was like free range? Uh, free range, probably. Um, I know I've done some 190s. I don't think I've done anything free range over 200. Um, and believe it or not, there's an area here just west of Springfield that has some really good genetics and there's some conservation land and I get some really big deer from, from that area. Matter of fact, every once in a while I'll have one come in and I'll, I'll ask them, well, where, where in northern Missouri did you go? And they're like, no, they just come from th this area. So every once in a while you'll have two or three deer pop up in this area that, that are just bumpers. Well, whenever you find out uh, which tree those were harvested out of, you'll let us know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and believe me i'll be underneath it with you <laughs> hey, the more the merrier what's what's the weirdest request you've ever got as a taxidermist have you ever been asked to mount like somebody's dog or cat or anything like that yeah periodically you know i've had a few dog requests and, and uh, we've mounted one um uh, the best thing you can do with it with a pet would be to actually have it freeze dried and so that that's a process that um I can walk you through if somebody's interested in that, but we don't do a whole lot of that normally uh, because, you know, a deer mannequin is pretty 
common as far as you know they make so many different sizes but when it comes to um, uh, animals or even uh, like bobcats and foxes they're all so many different sizes so you don't have a, a pet uh, mannequin that you can go pick up so you have to mold and cast that so they get pretty pricey so a lot of times whenever I tell my customers how much they're going to cost they they're not too interested past that cremation they pick cremation after they realize how much it costs to to do the yeah. dog yeah <laughs> so we covered what to do in the field and kind of your process of mounting it how would how would somebody take care of a mount yeah so the, you know um so i tell people that uh, your your deer mount is it's basically like you went out and you paid um, a lot of money for a really nice uh, leather jacket. So that hide that we put on that mannequin has been preserved. It's been oiled. So it's a leather product. So, uh, the, you know, you want to be conscious about where you're hanging your deer. You don't want to hang them over a fireplace because it's just like hanging up your leather jacket over the fireplace. It's going to, you know, it's going to crack. It's going to dry out. Um, you don't want to put them in your garage because it's not going to be a cl- uh, controlled environment. Uh, so be conscious of where you're putting your deer in your house or your lodge or wherever you're going to put your deer. Uh, another thing is, you know, for the most part, um, there's really not a whole lot of maintenance as far as your 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 deer, other than they're just going to be a, this ultimate dust collector. So once a year, if you want to take, you know, something up there and, and get the dust off of them, um, I use a lot of Shoshin. That's what they use on horses. Uh, I'll spritz them down with Shoshin and brush them a little bit. Um, maybe wipe off the eyes, but other than that, the maintenance is is pretty minor. They're just a big uh, dust collector. Is there anything else that we didn't cover or mention as far as what to do in the field to preserve a um, an animal for mounting? Yeah, I think we covered that pretty good. Like I said, um, the main thing is, uh, and I have guys that call me all the time, is just try to plan ahead. And I know. Um, uh, probably 10%, well, maybe maybe 15 to 20% of the people that I that I have come through my doors, they didn't plan on mounting their deer. They they never thought they would shoot that buck of a lifetime. Or you know, so, um, it's always good. Uh, these shows uh, keep me motivated and pumped, and I'm always doing that research. And I appreciate you guys uh, keeping me um, in the loop as far as what's new out there. And so you know, just like. Um, I'm going to be preparing for bow season here pretty soon. I'm going to be shooting my bow, making sure I got the proper arrows, my release, and whenever I whenever I get all my my hunting gear together, it's going to have that kit in there of, the, of a bag with some gloves in it to, to and to cape out my deer with, and to take care of the meat and in that cape. So uh, I I just encourage um, if you um, don't know a taxidermist in your area, um, most states have a taxidermist association. Uh, here in the Missouri, we have the Missouri Taxidermist Association, and you can go on their website and, um, like, we have a members list, and you might be able to look up uh, a taxidermist in your area, uh, close to you, because we have taxidermists all over the state of Missouri. I know Kansas has an association, Oklahoma, Iowa, Illinois, Colorado, uh, Nebraska, Wisconsin, all those states, they all have uh, taxidermist associations. So. Get on their website, look them up, and uh, if you need to find a taxidermist, and uh, hopefully that'll help somebody network and, and find somebody that uh, really does quality work. Yeah, no, absolutely. For people that want to check out maybe some of your work or they're in the Springfield area, where can they where can they get a hold of you? 
Sure. They can uh, look me up on uh, Facebook at CAS Taxidermy Studio. And I'm, I'm also on Instagram. So uh, you're welcome to look me up there. It has my contact information on Facebook and my phone number. So you're welcome to check out my pictures. And if you have questions, feel free to call me. Awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for jumping on, Craig. Thanks for reaching out to us. This is we've kicked around the idea of bringing on a taxidermist for a long time because we're always sitting on public. If somebody gets lucky enough from each year to, to shoot a buck, we're like, how long can we sit with this sucker before we're going to absolutely run this cape? So this has been really helpful. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, that's, that's as as taxidermists, um, I see it on social media every year. We're putting out pictures. Um, I've done a video of how to cape out your deer. So, like I said, the quality of your mount starts in the field. So, uh, take that into consideration. And I know you want to go show off your deer. Uh, I did whenever I shot my first big bucks. But uh, just be mindful, especially if it gets warm during the day, to to get it to your tax nervous and let him take care of it from there. Awesome, Craig. Well, thank you so much again for jumping on, and we appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for your time. Appreciate you guys, and enjoy your show. All right. Take it easy, man. And we will be waiting on that uh, that pin whenever you figure out where that big buck's been killed, that 190. So <laughs> right. whenever, whenever you figure that out, just just send us a message. <laughs> I'll send you a screenshot. How's that sound? That hey, sounds good. That's fine. See you, man. <laughs> All right, Jake. Well, that was fun. I plan on shooting some big bucks and uh, getting them frozen, but it sounds like I need to do. You know what? Regardless, I'll probably still just throw them in the ice chest and pray to God it'll, it'll buff. But, you know, it is what it is. One of the things I asked, so we did two episodes with Craig. We did, what, was it Tuesday we met with him? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had some technical issues, but I asked him Tuesday. He was talking about putting deer on dry ice and kind of how that, if you put them on dry ice, you can sit there as long as you want because the cape's completely frozen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where do you get dry ice? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, I guess you aren't a dry ice dealer. You're a taxidermist. Yeah. <laughs> I would think it'd be more expensive, and you know, around here we ball on a budget. This is the commons man. This is the common man <laughs> podcast. We so if you guys know where dry ice, if like Quick Trip or something sells it, dude, I'll spend thirty or forty bucks on dry ice to preserve a cape. No problem. That one gas station would probably be like eighty bucks a pound or something like that. And that's true. Yeah. Well, that was a good one. I hope uh, everyone that was on the everyone that's listening to this one enjoyed that, and uh, hopefully we'll have a better mount because of it. He knew his stuff, so he was he was a great guest. He, I looked at his studio and he does some really nice. You see that moose too. behind? We should have yeah. asked him about that. Was that his? I don't know. He said his his wife runs like a a rustic shop or an antique shop or something like that. So it sounds like they have stuff like that come through. I don't know. Sometimes people sell like moose and buffalo mounts and stuff, and I'm like, yeah. if I shot that, I would never be getting rid of it. It's like that's Estate now sale. considered a like family heirloom. If I've ever shot that, like all, all my deer, if my great great grandkids ever sell those stuff. I'm going to come back and haunt them probably. Mm -hmm. A lot of hours yeah. spent for those things. <laughs> a lot of dollars. <laughs> no, but I think we need to keep up with him and uh, see how the season checks in. Maybe do a uh, mid-season catch-up. That's right. Yeah. So, Craig, I'm sure you're going to listen to this. Thank you for coming on again, brother. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.